You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject that I have prepared for you is from Wales, and his name is Lucas Woodland. He's the singer in rock and metalcore outfit Holding Absence. The catalyst for the conversation is their new album, The Greatest Mistake of My Life. Before we get to the chat, I'll let you know that my audio is absolutely potato. I recorded it in the State Library today, meaning that recorded the... My dog is barking right now. Never mind. I uh, conducted the interview in the State Library today, and I had to use my uh, Apple AirPods, and consequently, they sound like shit from the microphone's perspective. So bear with me through my part of the conversation. Lucas, he comes in loud and clear, so here he is. And he comes in very loud and clear to begin with. I like it. like the enthusiasm. Let's do it. Here he is, Lucas Woodland. Yo, dude. Mate, how's things going? Hey, how's it going, brother? Yeah, good. Thank you, man. Sorry, just get my... There we go. What's up? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. How are you? Very well. Yeah, yeah. How's the, how's the calls or the, uh, the interviews? You know, these, uh, these, these the bloody... Press like, I'm chunk. <laughs> yeah, it's going all right, mate. Yeah, it's... Um... It's obviously it's, it's like half one in the morning here, so it's kind of like a weird sensation having to do like I'm to be honest, I'm I don't sleep very well anyway, so it's not like it's weird for me, but um, it's just weird having to be enthusiastic at like fucking bedtime, you know? <laughs> yeah, why didn't they organise for them to be done, you know, at like ten o'clock or a more rational time for you? In all honesty, I'm probably better now than I will be at ten in the morning. <laughs> I'm very much a, a late night kind of guy, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool, mate. Well, look, I enjoy the album, and I've got to be honest with you, what you guys do would not be typically something that I'd dig. But what I like about it from, from the top, it's beautifully recorded. And the drum sound, I'm going to give you a big award here, okay? It's easily got the best drum sound that I've heard this year so far from a release. Um, awesome. Wicked. Thank you. you. That? Yeah, how did you yeah that? so... Um... So first and foremost, something quite interesting that we did with the drum recording of this record is we recorded the cymbals and the shells separately. So um, we basically just had far more control over the sound. You know, there was literally obviously no bleed whatsoever, you know, and every mic was, you know, it was like, you know, I don't need to over explain it. But yeah, so, you know, some takes were just and then the other ones were just you know and it, and and it kind of just gave us a lot more freedom to mess with um and the dude who produced the record dan uh he's worked with enter shikari barry tomorrow mm. uh, he's worked with some some brilliant bands over the years and uh, he's the guitarist of sixth as well so you know he's like oh wow he's like yeah, with Mikey. yeah he's got his own accolades in a very different way you know like uh us and six would never really play a show together i don't imagine but um but yeah so you know, he's just somebody with a lot of attention to detail. And, and I got to be honest as well, I'll give a lot of credit to our drummer as well, because I think the way that we are as a band, and I know I'm speaking to you as an Australian who would never have seen our band, but, you know, our live show is very, very intense, you know, and yeah. I sweat it out and our drummer rips through that kit like, like you, you know, I, I've, I've never, it's mad that I'm in a band with a guy who, I've seen go craziest, you know, because he's, he's crazy. And, and it's something that I think Dan really wanted to capture was that kind of weirdly the, the drums are an emotional part of our band in a way, you know, that they, they are like a, yeah. like a, a, a different way of 
affecting the emotional output, you know? That's such a good way of describing it, that the drums are an emoting part of the band because I've always felt that way. I'm a bassist and I do play, obviously, in a rhythm section and, and without good drums, it doesn't yeah. come together at all. Like That's the platform, no matter what you guys do on top of that, if there isn't some kind of synchronicity, then as far as the musicians are concerned, it misses the mark. Have you heard of the band? I assume you've heard of Cradle of Filth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cradle of Filth. Yeah. So I've, I've interviewed Nick Barker about the album that they released about, 20, oh, about 22, 23 years ago now, Cruelty and the Beast, and uh, he hated the drum sound of it. And consequently, it's not an album that he can listen to to this day a lot from, from memory from my conversation with him. So, But you guys haven't done that. You know, you, you've got something here that I think, I actually think the drum sound you've captured here will be used as a template. You know how some people, they hand Wicked, the record man, to somebody. Wicked, man, that's so sick, yeah. Thank you, yeah, because, you know, I, I remember um, it might not be your particular bag, but, like, for years we would demo songs using the um, the Paramore Riot drum sample pack because that was mm -hmm. just, like, you know, just sounded so perfect, you know, when I'm like, so that's wicked, man, and, you know, that's a huge compliment because me personally, like, I'm not... I'm not overly like attention to detail on that kind of thing. I, I'm, I'm way more about like the obvious stuff, you know? And like, I, I honestly just trust the people around me can catch those things that slip through my net, you know? Um, so it's wicked that something, you know, something like that has kind of reached out to you initially, which is class. So, yeah. Sweet, man. No, thank you. Yeah. No, look, and I've got a, the, the obvious question, but I'm going to, the obvious question is why is the album called the greatest mistake of my life? But I'm going to flip the script here because I know just about every interviewer would be going, okay, Lucas, tell me about the greatest mistake yeah, yeah, you've yeah. in your life, you know, but can yeah. you, so is it a concept album given it's got such a, such a, a like a, an evo evocative title? No. So our debut record was a concept album and it was basically me looking at the inception and the, you know, the experience and the death and the aftermath of, of a relationship, you know, and I went through every, every type of emotion you feel, you know, and, and I really, and I just found it really restrictive, to be honest, you know, uh, sometimes in life, you know, restrictions are, are what help you do extraordinary things, you know, um, but mm -hmm. I felt like I just didn't want that for this album, you know, but um, the title comes from, uh, I don't know, I've told the story a million times, so you might have already heard it, but the title is named after a song that already exists um, uh, by an artist called Gracie Fields, and it was, it was released in 1939, I think. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's very old, it's at least 80 years old. Um, and basically, the reason we named the album after it was because my grandmother said that her uncle had done a, a cover of it back in, like, the 50s on, like, a small 7-inch. And um, and it, it just really struck a chord with me because, you know, it's not that's not an avenue of inspiration for me. You know, when I go and hang out with my my nan, I don't I don't expect to be inspired or, you know, how come up with lyrics or anything like that. And and yeah, and that, that kind of really resonated. And uh, we named the album that very early on and then kind mm -hmm. of worked backwards in a weird way. So all the kind of cinematic timeless as we'd like to aim for, you know, those kind of vibes they were kind of us working back to a title that had somehow found me 80 years later, you know? Great story. I did read it and it's, a, it's an extremely compelling story because I understand it's a family member too that you've derived inspiration from who not necessarily, correct me if I'm wrong, originally sung the song but made the song popular. 
Is that the story? Um, he, basically, it was, to be honest, I can't imagine anybody even really listened to the record. It was more a case of like the fact that a family member of mine had ever recorded his own voice was kind of quite chilling to me, you know, especially back that far away. You know, it's easy to plug in a SM57 into a, you know, into a computer these days. But, you know, back then, yeah. you know, that was quite a big thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I read that you used to play covers, which is actually what I do when these bloody COVID restrictions are, are, are lifted completely. That, I, I thought, I think in, I mean, you can read a bit too much into things, but I think I can hear that you're a seasoned musician based on your performance, given the amount of live performances you've had to do interpreting somebody else's songs. Do you think that's a fair statement? I feel like, yeah, I, I got to be honest, you know, I'm very much a product of... Uh, you know, you listen to some artists like, uh, for example, like Sleep Token, you know, I, I, I'm assuming you've heard them. Like, you know, I listen sure. to that dude's voice and I'm just kind of like, I don't know how you'd even find that that is your voice. You know, it's such a, such a unique voice. And there's so many artists like that, you know, but um, but for me, yeah, you know, I grew up listening to Green Day, uh, My Chemical Romance, Slipknot, you know, and, and I'd spend hours and hours in my little back cupboard room, you know, kind of like singing along at the age of like 12 to all those vocalists and trying to sound like them, you know? And, and I think like you said as well, you know, I, I feel like I earned my stripes as a musician before I earned my stripes as a songwriter. Um, so I definitely kind of collected a lot of experience as a performer before I put that into action, if that makes sense. That's such a great point you raise there. And I don't think people understand that you do need to be a musician before you, you can truly hone your songwriting craft. A lot of people, they, 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 that being at the coalface like you were has given you, I, I don't think you'd be the singer you are right now unless that had taken place. So do you, when you were playing covers though, because I know I, I cop it occasionally, not that often, but did you meet many punishers that are like, well, are you doing that? That's boring. There's no point in doing that. Yeah, I mean, you know, because at the end of the day, music is objective and people are very... Um, you know, uh, passionate about the way that they feel. And, and that's what makes music so special, right? You know, and even now as, as you know, I, I can, if I, if I went to a, a pub and there was a band on and they were covering, you know, in Wales, you know, they'd be covering stereophonics, you know? And like, for me, my <laughs> subconscious would just kind of be like, like, that's cool, good on you, you know? But like writing music is, is the big cheese, you know? Because on a fulfillment level, it, it, it there's nothing quite like creativity, you know, but that doesn't mean that performing music isn't special, you know, um, it's kind of like saying, you know, you can't like art without wanting to draw or whatever, you know, it's, it's like mm. art is, is a subjective thing. And, and as long as you can enjoy it. And, and like I said, you know, like performing music is, is class regardless of what it is. And um, yeah, so, so I, you know, I'm, I'm glad. And to be honest though, you know, I, I, bumped my kneecap on every stair up the flight you know like there's not been a I haven't skipped anything you know I've failed at everything and I, and I do believe that to be an attribute as to why I'm even vaguely good at anything you know good on you for saying that and taking ownership of that side of it because people are, are, are very much afraid to it uh it's not even about acknowledging failure. They just don't acknowledge that that's actually part of the process of being successful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Failure, dude, failure is as important to success as, you know, the, the two the two most important 
parts of success to me of trying and failing and then success is, is very much, you know, and, and I'm happy to fail at everything. You know, this is our second album. And I feel like, thank Christ, this is that we kind of not so much failed, but, you know, we definitely learned from our mistakes on this album. And I'm, I'm really proud of that, you know. How did you meet up with the guys from, I know Nuclear Blast and Sharptone are going their separate ways, I think, at the moment, aren't they? So was it via Nuclear Blast that you got put in touch with Sharptone or how did that relationship come about? No, so it was through Sharptone. So Sharptone, um, it's, a, it's a real fairy tale story, you know, and, and like I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a, from a small town in Pont uh, in Pontypridd. I'm from a small town called Pontypridd in Wales, which is, you know, a real kind of armpit of the United Kingdom. And, you know, and, and I just grew up kind of forcibly kind of making my way through the music industry. And, and basically we put out one song as Holden Absence and we toured straight away six days after it was literally like released the song tour for 10 days. And about six mm -hmm. days into that tour, we got a message from a guy called Sal and he was a rep at Sharptone. And he basically said that he just believed in us and he was, was excited to hear me, you know? Um, so I feel like our relationship with Sharptone exists purely because Sal and Sean, the two kind of at the time, the main dogs, you know, I, I, I do just think they really believed in us, you know? Um, and our connection with Nuclear Blast is a funny one because um, I love so many people at Nuclear Blast and I've had such a wonderful experience working with them. But, you know, every now and then I do an interview for like, you know, Goblin Slayer magazine or, you know what I mean? And like, it, and it's funny because like, I'm aware that like, you know, I kind of come in through the back door in an odd way, you know. Um, but once again, dude, you know, I didn't sign to Universal for my first label. You know, I signed to... A, a label that I've already learned from and, and I'm climbing up with as it, as it stands and, and Sharptone as well. You know, I feel like they're climbing up every day, every album, every release, you know, Sharptone is becoming its own kind of beast, which is really special. So, yeah. That's, that's a funny thing you mentioned there about Goblin Slayer fans <laughs> and then you sort of, because there's this, I mean, look at me, look what I look like. There's this perception that if you're into extreme metal or the heavy stuff, that you've got to look like it's 1989 or something. And of course, yeah, and that's so not true, dude. Yeah, like you know, but I, I feel like I work at um, I work at a bar called Fuel, um, and it's like the you know you picture every metal bar in every kind of city or village or town or whatever. Like Fuel is is the one, and and I've spent oh, I've spent you know weeks, months in my life like pouring you know Iron Maiden Trooper beer while like Megadeth's playing over the speakers, you know, and and like. I, I love the metal world and, and, and the industry as a whole because I feel like it's just like, it's just unashamed, you know what I mean? It's just like, I don't care. I, I like metal, you know what I mean? And, and like, and, and I really respect that because I think, you know, music, there's a lot of trying to be cool in music, you know, and, and embracing something, whether it's cool or not, that's cool as fuck to me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. I love that attitude, man. Yeah, it's what I like to do with my interviews, because I do host a podcast series, so they'll release this as part of my, uh, as an episode on the podcast series, but it's it's about demystifying extreme metal and heavy metal, because I call all of what, you know, including you guys, from, from Morbid Angel to Statistic Execution to you guys to even stuff like Paramore, to be honest with you, because it's got the loud distorted guitars. You know, it's not too far yes. away from adjacent, if you like. And I think it's so important to explain to people that there are no boundaries with music. If, uh, of course. If, especially with heavy music because it's such a diverse genre people from the outside looking in who have no interest in it 
like to pigeonhole so-called metalheads, yet metalheads actually look like you and I. Yeah, of course, man. And you know what I, I love about music as well? Like you said, there's no limits because if, you know, we look at this example, I very much enjoy ambient music. You know, if I'm like, uh, if I'm reading, I love, I love listening to ambient music because it's just, I, I feel like I'm listening to music, but I'm not thinking about listening to music, you know? Um, but, you know, if we looked at ambient as the furthest left, literally drone noises, you know, and then we look at metal over here and then it gets to the point where we're listening to such extreme metal that, the the you know the symbols and the the um the blast beats and the tremolo drop e guitars start sounding like fucking white noise as well and and I guess the point where all the way left and all the way right are basically just doing the same kind of thing you know what I mean so um but it's how they do it and and I think that's what's special about music is it's not so much about well it is about what you're doing but it's also about how you're doing it as well, you know? Um, and there's no rules really, which is, which is the best thing about it, you know? There are no rules, you're right. And there, there are, but there are still milestones that you want to see a band achieve. And you've done that already in that you're on the cover of Koran. Was, was, was that something where you were growing up reading the magazine and you had aspirations to appear on the front? Yeah, dude, like to me, you know, that is like my, really is like my life pinnacle as it stands you know because like like you said you know I like I keep hitting home as well you know I played every rubbish show I could and I bought every Kerrang magazine I I could get my hands on and you know as as a younger dude yeah I just loved music you know and and like yeah like the thought of me being on the front cover of the magazine that dude I like I discovered Slipknot through Kerrang you know I remember the all hope is gone mask on the on the front cover and um and it was back when you couldn't go on Spotify and and like you know glaze over stuff you know it was back dude it's back before I you know I would have even had a phone you know um and I remember I went into WH Smiths with my nan um and she bought me Kerrang and then I spent the rest of the week wondering what the hell they even sounded like and then I bought the album you know um so the fact that I could be on the front cover someday is is truly you know amazing to me because you know, a decade later, having discovered Slipknot, you know, that truly did change my life. So uh, it is it was a real full circle moment for me. And I'm I'm proud of it. And I'll always be able to cling on to it. <laughs> you know? Have you got a friend in your parents living room or thereabouts? The front cover? Um, because of COVID, obviously, I haven't really seen my parents, to be honest. But um, the record technically come out 90 ish minutes ago, you know. So tomorrow yeah. I'm hoping to bump into them in town and maybe buy the record and uh, yeah, we're going to, there's going to, hopefully there'll be a lot of new framed objects in their household when I next go visit. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Well, you're doing it, man. They should be proud, man. I mean, I, I think people, they don't understand or acknowledge, and you've made some great points through this conversation about knocking your knee on every step up and that bear the bumps and the grazes that prove, prove that you're on your way to, I wouldn't say fame and fortune, of course, because it's not really the case of rock music anymore. And well, they're but... not synonymous anymore, either, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these days, anybody with a bloody recording console, which they can download pirate, you know, for nothing from their bedroom can become a DJ or a, even a, a, a rock musician. A musician, yeah, for sure. Man. So. It's an incredible environment we're living in. So, so with, with the UK, I understand the UK is coming out of lockdown now. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah, as of literally like Monday. Yeah, like four days ago, yeah. Four days ago, yeah. So have you got touring plans? Because I imagine you guys, to your point earlier, 
about putting on a ripping live show, man. You just must be champing at the bit to prove to people. Oh, like, dude, you're no, brilliant. no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. You know, our last show was December the 12th, 2020. Uh, was it? No, it was 20. No way, was it 2019? Yeah, it was 2019, our last show. 2019. 2019. Yeah, yeah. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, when you think, God, you know, and dude, you know, by far the longest stretch I've had in my life without playing a show, you know. Um, so, so yeah, you're right. It is something that we're desperate to get out and do. Um, as, it, as it stands, we've got a, a headline to a book for November. Um, and it's hard not to wish your life away. You know, that, that's my only real yeah. issue is like, I don't mind having to wait, but I've got nothing else to do. I'm like, I'm, I'm not just waiting. I'm like, I'm like wishing my life away at the moment. So, um, so to me, that's, that's the biggest pain in the butt, but, um, it's nice, you know, with you guys on the other side of the world now, it's like, and Japan as well. I've, I've got some friends in Japanese bands and, and they're playing shows. So, you know, it's, it's inspiring and motivating to know that it can happen and it will happen. Um, but, oh my God, the sooner the better, you know? Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, definitely. I guess just a question. I, I, I've certainly spoken to Phil from Motorhead before he's Welsh. So there are a couple of Welsh musicians out Dude, there. But Sorry, just correct. Phil from Motorhead. I uh, recorded my first EP in his garage because his son, oh. yeah, recorded. So we literally live like 10-minute drive away from each other. So small world. <laughs> lovely guy, though. Yeah, but it, look, it is a small world. When you come from relatively small scenes like we've got in Australia and Wales, you tend to be one or two. Uh, there's not very much like generations or spaces away from each other. I'm trying to find the right word. What's a degrees of separation there you go there's not many degrees of separation yeah, yeah. <laughs> now there was a band back in the day called lost profits who were doing very well of course and then yeah you know that yeah that happened with those guys is that mm. is it within the welsh scene was there were you part of the welsh scene at that you probably were a bit too young for it when it all sort of blew up and happened and stuff but i mean that stops I, th- I can't do. It. I don't even think you can get that, that band's music on Apple Music or Spotify these days for obvious reasons. So nah, it's not, so taboo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's taboo. That's that's the point. So is it taboo within the Welsh music scene as well? Because you just see, you hear, and see nothing about it. Well, in another life, the, it would be such a funny connection because I not only went to the same school as the Lost Prophets, I actually grew up on the same road as Ian Watkins, oh, wow. the, the piece of shit himself, right? So, mm. you know, in another life, you know, it would have been like, wow, you know, there's a the b- biggest Welsh band of the last 10 years I went to the same yeah. school as. That's so cool. Whereas, and it's funny because I've never, nobody's ever brushed on this in an interview because like you said, it's so taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. But mm. I remember, man, the morning we, my old band had actually like somehow managed to get like an EP to, to Ian himself, you know, and like, one one day I was like queuing for the the bus and my mum rung me. It was like eight o'clock in the morning, and and she said, "Yo, this is crazy. We've just turned on the news. Ian Watkins is on the news," and um and my brain rushed. I was like, "Wait, we gave him a CD like two days ago. Does, he's on the news. What is he telling everybody about our band? You know?" And then all that came out, and it was like, "Holy shit!" And then I went to school and I was being taught by like one of the more senior members of, of staff and um she left us for half an hour because they, they had to go around the school ripping posters down and taking removing every sign of his name within the school so um 
So yeah, it was a really surreal, even now. I knew his nephew. I grew up with his nephew. Like, wow. so it was yeah. fucking, yeah. And, and it's hard to talk about because it's just, it is only met with just di- pure disgust. You know, of course, as a, as a human, it's, it, you know, you can't help but feel anything but complete disgust for the whole situation. But weirdly, I was quite close to the blast radius and way before my music career had any form of success. So yeah, crazy. I've never been asked that before because, you know, it's such a taboo topic, like I said. Yeah, people are uncomfortable. I see, I tend to ask all sorts of questions and go outside of music and then come back into talking about music and, and stuff. And, and but, it, but it's a topic that I've been wanting to talk to a Welsh musician about for a while because I didn't think it was a... Phil probably doesn't even know who... With all due respect to Phil, he probably doesn't even know what Prop mm. star. He's only in a different yeah. quadrant altogether. You know, he's one of the godfathers. Yeah, for sure. You know, people know who he is, but he probably knows... You know, obviously who you guys are, but yeah, that lost profit situation when it hit, it was like a nuclear bomb going off. That's such a good analogy you drew about the blast radius there because it's it's not just a horrific subject to deal with in society, but I don't think broadly speaking, rock and metal have been touched. I, we have now again no, no. with the, the guitarist in Manowar, Carl Logan. Is, oh, uh, okay, uh, fair. Right, just stay away from him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he's out of the band now, of course. I think he, I, I, he might even be in prison on charges. I'm not sure, but I haven't. I mean, there's a lot of information, very difficult, a lot of hardcore proper information, it's hard to get. But uh, yeah, so I've got daughters. It's a horrific topic. Um, but I think it's still worth sort of exploring some of these these things because, you know, it is current it's affairs. It is out there. Really, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting. And that's the thing, yeah, it's like from where, you know, I'm sat on the, like I said, from on literally the other side of the planet to you. And, and that was just like cataclysmic to me, you know, it was like the whole of the, every dude, you know, like I said, I knew his nephew, we'd play gigs, me and his nephew. And, um, mm. you know, he'd turn up to those shows, you know, and like fucking, and everybody'd be like, oh my God, the guy from Lost Prophet. And, you know, and it turns out like, sorry, that's my phone telling me, sorry, my phone's telling me I'm running out of battery. Um, but, you know, it, you know it completely changed in retrospect everything because like everything was in that shadow and i'm so like so sorry for every other member of that band is that's the the truest travesty in modern musical memory is that people had to be dragged down with that piece of shit who had worked hard as hell you know so are those guys are those guys still playing or has it just scarred them so much that they're just well out of the music industry now they did a project called no devotion i don't know if you ever heard it was uh the no. singer of thursday Do you know thursday they were like an emo band um yeah. the yep. singer jeff rickley he fronted their band and they were called no devotion and they were kind of like kind of like a post-punk band i think they were a bit more mm. like you know um like joy divisiony kind of vibe um yep. but you know and they, they gave it a good go but i think even, dude, just even starting a band at that age is just hard, let alone after what happened, you know. It's oh, just God. like, yeah. you know, there's a, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Well, you, well, you guys are flying the flag for Welsh music, man. It's, um, you know, like, just take take it with a grain of salt what I set up at the top when you're, you're it's just, uh, because I'm 42, right, so metalcore sort of happened well after I'd gotten the metal and that yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. blend you've got, yeah. I do appreciate the music, but I think the main thing for me is just the quality of musicianship that you guys bring. So that's the inspiration that, and, and the way that you're able to mix up your voice. That, that what that tells me is hundreds of hours of both rehearsal and performing to get it right. 
And mm. people don't understand the hard work and the craft behind that because in many ways it is a scientific thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an A and B test situation where you're just trying to basically improve your craft to a point where you're on a good track. And, and, you know, I haven't heard your first album, but I will go and find it because I love listening to the development and I'm sure it's probably... Sure. With, yeah, with and, and I've got to be honest, do. you know, transparently, it is very tangible, you know? Mm. No worries, mate. Well, this has been a great chat. As I said, look, if you're comfortable with everything we've spoken about, I'll, I plan on releasing it on a podcast, if that's cool. Yeah, dude. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, and um, it was lovely to chat. And, you know, I, I, f I find I, I love talking to people of all, you know, like demographics and ages and nationalities and stuff, you know, because there's just... I feel like I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I kind of get bored of the 20 something scene friends interviews, you know what I mean? So <laughs> it's been nice to have a chat with somebody from a, from a different like lens, I guess. And um, mm -hmm. thanks, you know, for being uh, respectful and objective and, you know, man, it's been a pleasure. So. No, indeed. It has been a pleasure, brother. Yeah. But look, good luck with everything. I'm sure there's going to be great success for you guys, man. So just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, man. Hopefully we can chat again someday as well. It'd be awesome. Absolutely. So, I'll, I'll, I'll keep on doing this. So hopefully we will. I'm sure we will. Oh, <laughs> cool, man. All right. Nice one. See you soon, dude. Have a great day. Thanks, brother. You too, man. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Thanks for tuning in. That interview subject was all the way from Wales. That was Lucas Woodland. He's from the band Holding Absence. Thanks again.